2: Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105 Through the Fan, and joining us today is the executive director of Happy Hills Farm, my buddy, Mr. Lucas Shipman. How you doing, Lucas?
3: I'm doing great, Chris. I'm happy to be on. How are you?
2: I am wonderful. I've been dying to have you on this show for so long, and I made you a promise. I said, I'm definitely going to do this, and we found the time. (laughs) Because everybody needs to, they might have heard of Happy Hills Farm because you guys have been around for like, what, 47 years?
3: Yes, sir. Almost 50. Yes. Look
2: out, Time's flying. But they don't know all the different things that you do. They don't understand that it's a unique working farm and campus that provides academic spiritual development, sports, music, and arts programs for children in need from all over the world. Some people may think it's only Texas kids. Can you talk yes. about how you guys even got started?
3: Yeah. So in 1975, my grandfather, his name was Ed, was a faithful preacher in a small town uh, right outside of Granbury. And in the middle of the night, the the sheriff there in Somerville County dropped off two girls. Um, their dad had recently passed and their mom was incarcerated and the girls were truant and they really needed some structure. They were bright, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, just needed some some loving, caring people around them. And so that kind of started my grandparents traveling around Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, trying to find that kind of program for those girls, Uh, not a military school, um, not a really a residential care facility, but a structured home for those girls. And so that's what started Happy Hill Farm. He went to his father-in-law, my great grandfather and said, Hey, I want to, I want to purchase the farm, so to speak, set up a nonprofit and create a, a school for kids that are, Um, really high potential that are driven, um, that have a lot of things going on for them, but they're coming out of low opportunity situations. And so we've been doing that since 1975.
2: Absolutely amazing. And then it began to grow. Can you talk about how you wound up um, helping get a diverse student body with kids from all over the world, not just in North Texas and Louisiana.
3: Yeah, so it started with with eight boys um, Mm -hmm. right after we helped those two girls. And since then um, in the 80s, the the Dallas Cowboys got involved. Uh, Tom Landry was a wonderful supporter of the farm. He was our um, chairman of our board uh, for 20 something years until his passing. Wonderful Christian guy, really cared about what we were doing, so Mm -hmm. we got involved there got a lot of publicity, started to grow. Um, We had 250 acres originally. The the gentleman next to us uh, upon his passing gave us another 250 acres. So now we're a 500 acre uh, fully working farm and school for these kids. And so that was the 80s and the 90s. Um, And then in the early 2000s, we started to accept international students. So these are kids, same thing, a lot of potential, a lot of drive. Um, but they're coming out of low opportunity areas, conflict parts of the world. Um, we, we really try to help uh, get young girls out of parts of Western Africa and give them better experiences here in the United States. And so that just became part of our mission. So right now we serve between 120 and 150 kids every year. Um, most of them board there on campus with us mm-hmm. and so they live there. They don't live in dorms though. One of the really unique things about Happy Hill Farm is they live in homes. So it's okay. eight boys or eight girls and a set of resident parents. So yeah, they live in a live in a house. And so that's been um, really impactful. That was part of my grandfather's wisdom. you know we didn't just want to hack a bunch of kids in a dormitory. Um, who are, you know, 12 to 18 years old and and just trying to educate them. But we care about the whole kid. We care about their spiritual development, their character development. Um, and that requires um, a, a family unit. And so it's a replacement family unit. These kids basically have, uh, we call them resident parents, a wonderful husband and wife. They usually have their own kids, young kids. And that's their only job is to just take care of the eight boys or eight girls that live in a residence. And um, that's a really big part of the program. So Right now, again, 120 to 150 kids, um, half uh, half to 100 live there on campus. The rest come from the community um, that want a private uh, kind of Christian school um, education. Mm -hmm. And one of the really unique things uh, that we've been doing since 1975 is not accepting any state or federal funding. Uh, We're not a United Way agency. We're not a tax burden on our local community uh, 100% of what we operate from is given to us by individuals and their businesses. And so that's a really unique thing about Happy Hill Farm.
2: That is absolutely amazing and impressive. I mean, talking about from the ground up and you've got 500 acres and it's a farm setting. But of course, it's a campus for a school. Can you kind of paint a picture of what it looks like, how many buildings you have, the kind of animals that may be out there and maybe some of the chores that Some of the people who live and work there do, including the students?
3: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So 4-H and FFA are a big part of our program. If a student wants to be involved in that, they can. So we have 250 acres that are fully developed. Um, We're talking about 30, 40 buildings, uh, 10,000 square foot, K through 12th grade school. It's much like a college preparatory academy that you would see in the Northeast, a boarding Mm -hmm. school like that. But the unique thing about Happy Hill Farm is we give that experience away. These kids are not paying tuition. Most of them never give us a penny. They're experiencing all of this because of the caring friends and donors that we've built up uh, that continue to give to us over the last 50 years that want to see these kids that have all of this potential, get in an environment like this beautiful 500 acre rural campus where they can be that all God created them to be. They can find the things that they're interested in. They can uh, dive into all the extracurriculars that we have. We have a wonderful equestrian program for kids that are interested in that. We play sports. We have boys soccer, boys basketball, girls volleyball. Um, We're always going between tennis and track and field. And we have a beautiful um, field facility there, uh, AstroTurf. And so there's so many opportunities for these kids to, to come into the program to find out, hey, this is the thing I'm really good at, or this is the thing I really enjoy. And we do our best to help set them up to be able to get into college. We have A hundred percent college acceptance rate. Hold on a second. Did you
2: say one hundred percent?
3: One hundred percent college acceptance rate. So so no kid leaves our campus without an acceptance letter to a college. And the vast majority of them are able to go to those schools. Yes, sir.
2: That is fantastic. Now, you mentioned the campus and we talk about how, how great it is. What part of North Texas is it located? What county are you guys in?
3: So we are in Somerville County. We are about 10 minutes outside of Granbury, Texas. Mm -hmm. Beautiful little retirement. It's not little anymore. 50,000 people live in Hood County, (laughs) but it was originally a... a kind of a retirement community built around the lake. Great place to raise a family. A lot of people are moving to Hood County. We're about ten minutes outside of there. We're right in between Granbury and Glenrose off Highway 144. And you oh, may know the Dinosaur Pits
2: and the and, and the yeah. exotic is exotic that animal? I took my kids down there.
3: Yes, Fossil Rim, Fossil Rim facility. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely,
2: it's beautiful down there.
3: It is, it is. So we're right on the edge of the Texas Hill Country, technically, and so the—I mean, that's why it's called Happy Hill Farm. We have one big hill. Hmm. You can drive up, and you can see all the 500 acres. It's just a—it's a beautiful place. Most of these kids are are coming out of of urban environments, so just to get them outdoors, sure, um, to care about fitness and health, and and being able to to kind of see past the end of your nose can do good for a kid's heart.
2: You mentioned the sports programs I've heard you talk about this you've got to, you gotta kind of i don't want to call it brag, but you gotta show that the <laughs> You got to tell about how the basketball teams are actually pretty good. Some of the yeah, teams so, they've competed with is football teams too.
3: Yes. So we have, like I said, we have high potential, high driven kids. So we have a lot of kids who come in and they decide after maybe playing a year or two of a particular sport that this is their thing. They they really want to give themselves to this and, and try and play in college. And so our, our boys basketball team and our women's volleyball team in particular have done really well. They're both mm-hmm. club teams. So we're competing with Keller high school and Duncanville <laughs> and some of these large schools <laughs> and beating them or getting very close. To right. Beating them. So we're very proud of the kids. Yeah.
2: That is absolutely impressive. Again, cause it's about, you know, like you said, they're, they're high energy, they're competitive and this is an outlet for them. And they also want to, you know, maybe have an opportunity to get a scholarship or play, you know, on the collegiate level. So that's outstanding that you're able to offer that. Um, yeah. for some of the kids from around the world, How do you find them or do they find you?
3: That's a great question. So being around as long as we have, we have cultivated an incredible network of coaches in some of these foreign countries, uh, pastors, missionaries, Mm -hmm. really people who are on the ground working with kids. And so they can identify in, in places like Rwanda or Serbia, or even we have several kids from the Ukraine. They can identify kids that really would fit into our program well and succeed and, and then help us get them here. And so we we have a great relationship with um, Homeland Security and our immigration services here. And we issue a lot of educational visas. And it's a, it's a huge blessing. I mean, these kids, almost all of them... Um, that are, that are international are coming out of a pretty rough parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, whether have been for 20, 30 years or like Ukraine recently mm-hmm. in conflict and, and especially for the, the girls, um, that are coming out of those places, it's just a completely different experience for them and, and a wonderful blessing.
2: Yeah. We're talking with Lucas Shipman. He's the executive director of Happy Hills Farms. You mentioned the relationship with the Cowboys and of course the legendary coach, Tom Landry, can you talk about how much of an impact that has had on the organization?
3: Yeah, it's it's been a big part of how we've been able to actually get the word out um, of what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. we're an hour, hour and a half outside of the Metroplex, so it's a little bit of a drive. But when my grandfather met Coach Landry and he came on our board and we got connected to the Cowboys, that relationship continued on through when the Jones family bought the team. And in the 80s and 90s, we put out uh, the Dallas Cowboys Wives Cookbook. So anybody oh, listening, yeah, you may remember it. that. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was an effort between the the Cowboys organization and us to put a lot of good recipes out, have something fun to be able to to sell and to give away to benefit the farm, and then just get the word out um, of what we're doing in in the lives of kids. And so those were I I remember so many great events um, back in the day having. Current cowboys and, and their wives come out, Bob Brunig and mm-hmm. Aikman came out once and Emmett and, mm-hmm. and, and then into the Romo years. And uh it was really neat to have those uh opportunities. And and now um, you know, we still have lots of opportunities um to share the the good work that we're doing um with the cowboys and and they're still uh promoting us at several of their events that they have. And so it's just a great relationship. You know, it's 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 one of the most um impressive sports franchises on planet earth. I bleed blue. I, I grew up here, I grew up on the campus of the school, and so I I, I mm-hmm. you know met uh Coach Landry and and have a happy birthday uh you know picture from him. And oh, that's great. We've just been a part of of we've been a part of it for so long that it's just a part of what we do and the the opportunities that the kids have been given through the connection is, is amazing too. We were just on the sideline um, during a preseason game this last year and and Dak got to hang out with the kids and, and it was really, really impactful for them. So we're very grateful for that
2: relationship. That is fantastic. I'm fortunate enough to say back in the day, I had an excellent relationship with coach Landry. I went on all the Cowboys home and road games because, you know, covering them for the radio and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, I actually had Coach Landry in studio with me. It was the last radio interview he did in person um, wow. before he passed away, unfortunately. At the time, he was not ill, but uh, he was in excellent spirits, and he was fun and relaxed. And, I mean, we just, we did, you know how people fist up nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Well, back in the day, I used to do that all the time. And the guys at the radio station like, man, how come you don't shake hands with people all the time? I said, well, it depends on who they are. And I said, also, sometimes you get a sweaty hand or you might get somebody (laughs) who wants to break your hand. You know, sometimes guys just want to, hey, how you doing? Break your hand. Yeah. So I just, I call it, dap them up. And so before Coach Landry came to the studio, they're like, I bet you don't dap him up. I said, I bet you I will. (laughs) And they said, I bet you will. I said, yes, I will. Me Me and Coach Landry are cool. And so... We were doing the show. In the middle of the interview, I said, Coach Landry, have you seen the latest handshake? He said, no, nah, Chris, what's the latest handshake? I said, put your hand out, body fist up. And then I did it, and I got my money.
3: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love and Coach it. Landry was grinning,
2: and I was like, see, they didn't think we'd do that. And he was like, yep, yep. But a, anyway, I had to bring that up because Coach Landry is such a great, great human being. He did so many people. He did so many things for people on and off the field, and Everybody knows about his relationship, not only with you guys, but with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the whole nine yards. And I just think that your organization is so first class. We've we've talked about the sports side of it. Let's let's talk about the academics a little bit, because if you weren't providing a quality education, I don't think you'd be where you are today.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that, Chris. You know, one of the things that's really important to us is small class sizes. Um, Like I said, most of these kids are coming out of urban environments most of their school experience has been packed in a room yeah. with, you know, 30 to 60 other kids um, really not getting the attention that they they need or, or deserve, frankly. And so we, we try and keep our ratios uh, 10 to 12 kids to one teacher max. And so that kind of learning environment and having teachers who care about the mission of what we're doing at Happy Hill Farm, it's not just a paycheck to them. They mm-hmm. they absolutely love the kids and are invested and they have the opportunity to invest in the kids. I, I know so many um, teachers in, in certain districts around here who absolutely love their students and they're beautiful people, but the classroom size prevents them from being able to do the kind of care and mentoring that they want to. And so that's what we really care about. We care about small classes. We care about giving the teachers the opportunity to pour into those kids. And we do have a a good academic standard. We're, we're fully accredited. Um, we we hold the kids to a high standard because that's where they rise. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you, you give a kid a high bar and they're going to clear it. And so we've been able to see. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, just academic wise. We had a young man uh, come to us about six years ago. His mom was was actually living um, at a motel. Um, the motel gave her a room there because she was uh, cleaning all the rooms. So she had a job there and had a room there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this young man was, you know, so in a in a tiny, you know, 300 square foot hotel room, really, really bright young man, heard about Happy Hill Farm. Um, the mom drove him out, actually had to order uh, Uber for him, uh, really? a taxi to be able to go from, from Dallas to our campus. So he came by himself for his interview. Um, mom is a really sweet, supportive lady, but but has to work two jobs and has to live there at the hotel, motel. And so um, he came out, we we interviewed him, uh, we accepted him, we we noticed pretty quickly that his uh, intelligence was just off the charts. And so we started to to do some testing and say, hey, you know, why don't you take some of these assessments to kind of see where you're at and where you can fit into the program. And he was just off the charts. He It was with us for four years and still to this day was the highest SAT score um, we've ever had and went on to an Ivy League university and got accepted and went in. And Mm. so it's just that's just one of the examples of of kind of the the unique the uniqueness of what we've been doing out here for 50 years that you've got a kid in the in the public school system wasn't even identified, um, as the, the kind of kid that he was as bright and as brilliant as he was. And now uh, he got a full ride to an Ivy league school because somebody, somebody paid attention, you know, put the time in and, and care for him and, and got him evaluated and got all the, all the things that he needed help with, um, emotionally and socially. And and now he's thriving. And so it's just one of, you know, hundreds of success stories. And it's not because, we figured out uh, some kind of magic formula. It's mm-hmm. the old formula. It's we care about the kids. We um, we we get as much one-on-one time as we can with teachers and tutors and coaches and mentors. Um, we get them out of of urban environments. Get them out where they can they can see and play and participate in in sports and extracurriculars. And I mean, a lot of these kids have never even seen some of these farm animals, but if they want to go into FFA, which is great scholarship opportunities, they can do it. And the beautiful thing about all of it is there's no expectation of, of tuition on, on the parents. Right. Um, most don't, most don't pay anything. And so it's, it's a tuition free um, boarding school for, for high potential kids. And it's just, that's one of many stories through the years that I think is incredible. He's a, he's a, Impressive young man, and is going to be the kind of leader that I want for our country in the future.
2: How many kids go through Happy Hill Farm and come back, either as a teacher or just come back to do things? I know know there's a bond there because it it changes their lives, but I was just wondering how many actually come back for various reasons.
3: Yeah, a good number. So, um, with as many years as we've been around, we actually have helped a lot of second generation. Um, So, these are kids who've gone through the program, who grow up, who have their own family. Mm -hmm. Some of them have moved to Granbury. And so they have their kids in the school as day students. How cool is that?
2: Wow. That's fantastic. Several of those. Well, that that brings me to another question I was going to ask you. What is the age range? Is it K through 12? Is it 9 through 12? Is it K through 10, K through 8?
3: It is kindergarten through 12th grade. Look out.
2: So, a lot of kids. A lot of kids have actually grown up together from elementary school all the way through high school at Happy Hill.
3: They have. And 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 that bond is is really unlike anything I've ever experienced, especially in my professional life. And as I talk to people um, about what their childhood was like, I mean, these these kiddos that we're bringing in, you know, they essentially come um, into a family. Of seven other brothers or sisters, mm-hmm. uh, a set of resident parents, and then all, like I said, the teachers, the mentors, the coaches, um, the tutors, everybody, all the support staff that we have that's so incredible, um, that 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 gives the kids what they need, whatever, whatever time, focus, energy, opportunity they need to succeed. And so yeah, there's deep bonds there. I mean, we've got we have a resident parent right now who actually graduated from the program. Okay. And she went to college. She's getting a master's right now, and uh, she's there. She's she's one of the resident parents for eight girls, and so, you know, a lot. We even have some teachers. um, When you were at the the golf tournament with me, Mm -hmm. uh, we had several ladies who were there doing a great job with our registration, who were graduates, who Mm -hmm. their own kids are now graduates uh, of the school and in college, and so yeah, it's a family.
2: It's an amazing story. It's a family, and. You know, I, I keep I hate, hate to keep coming back to sports because that's one of the main things that I do. But the yeah. fact that your campus is so diverse with so many people from all over the world, it's almost like a soccer team or an NBA team where you got players from everywhere and everybody respects each other.
3: Yeah. Our kids see a lot of success in college for that reason. You know, college campuses are global now. all yes. of Yes. And so our kids are experiencing that 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade where they've got kids from all over the world, from different parts of this country, maybe not speaking the same language as them. Mm-hmm. And they do. They have to learn fundamental respect uh, for our, our brothers and sisters. And so that's what they learn. And so they they get out of here understanding, um, diversity and equity and, and they get into college and they see a lot of success because of really being raised in that tight knit global family environment. Yeah.
2: It's absolutely amazing. And again, I give you guys a lot of credit for not just surviving, but thriving. And it it started, like you said, almost 50 years ago. Can you talk about a turning point? Was there a a turning point, you know, with happy Hills where it's like, Oh, we might be struggling right here. Oh, something happened that just took us to the top or took us to where we are right now.
3: Yeah. I mean, as far as tough times, you know, the, the great recession 2008, 2009, 2010 was tough because people had a lot less, um, oh, ability yeah. to, to give. I mean, like I said, we're, we're totally dependent on, um, individuals and and those who maybe run businesses and want to mm-hmm. give through their businesses or their foundations, but it's all, it's all private. And so uh, COVID uh, presented the same issue. And so sure. I can say happily, to some extent, we're, we're turning the corner here, but we always need help. We always need more people uh, to think about us, to tell their friends about what we're doing, to schedule a visit. That's one of the best ways to get involved. I'm I'm here all the time. And, and I give personal tours. If you would like to see the campus of Happy Hill Farm, you can just go to happyhillfarm.org and fill out the form there. And I'll contact you myself and would love to show you around. We can eat lunch with the kids. You can go into the school and see how we operate. But that um, that private funding, that, that personal giving through families um, and we have multi-generational uh, family giving as well. You know, mm-hmm. they were peers of my grandfather say. My my grandfather passed in 2016, and and now I get the 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 honor really of getting to work with um, their sons, their daughters, or mm-hmm. their grandkids even, um, who've inherited their hard earned money. And so it's been great to be able to see um, generational giving. But but that's a big thing for us. You know, we're 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 doing this. We've got four and a half miles of road. We have our own sewage treatment plant. We're essentially running a small city Hmm. uh, to be able to give these kids opportunity. So it takes a lot of funding. And so the best way to do that, come out, see the campus, or you can give online today if you're compelled by this vision, this message at happyhillfarm.org.
2: Okay. You, when you said the city, I swear, I, I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it's like its own city. It's almost yeah. its own, its own paradise. It's on Atlantis. I mean, this is really, really impressive. At the same time, you do have certain things that happen during the year. Like you mentioned the golf tournament. Can you talk some of the uh, events that you guys have where people can have an opportunity to participate and meet some of the people with Happy Hill?
3: We do. So we just two weeks ago um, had our seventh annual golf classic which was wonderful, Chris. You did an amazing job emceeing that event. We're so grateful for you being out there. And no problem. We raised a lot of money for the kids, mm-hmm. and we we have multiple fall events. The best way to keep up with what's going to happen and where it's going to be is our our social media or our website, happyoldfarm.org. Uh, we're thinking we're going to do a top golf event around Christmas. There um, you go. And and so we we did that a few years ago, and that was a great event either in the colony there, or in Fort Worth. Um, but you can you can watch for those events. But again, the events are a really big deal to us because we're not getting tax money. We're not getting a check mm-hmm. per kid. We're helping these kids on our own, really, with the support of our donors. And so these events are an opportunity to, to come out and meet me, meet the kids, meet our support staff, uh, hear stories directly from the students and alumni, It was really impactful to hear uh, the alumni story at the golf tournament. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a great way to, and then you can also bring your friends, bring your family, tell them about um, this, this charity and the things that matter to you as far as helping kids and DFW and all around the world. So the events are really important. Um, If you're listening to this and compelled by it, I'd encourage you to follow us. We're on all the social media platforms and you can find us just by searching happy hill farm and you'll see all kind of great posts and pictures and longhorn stuff and because we have a few longhorn now and all kind of fun texas uh related i was uh, going to ask you
2: about that i was (laughs) okay i I mentioned you mentioned the equestrians that's the horses i was going to ask you you have any longhorn kind of walking around because this is texas
3: we sure do. And nothing says Texas more than, more <laughs> than them. And so we do have a few and, and um, it's always, I mean, they, the, if nothing else, the photography oh, that, yeah. that they make available, they're just beautiful, beautiful animals. And we also have a full herd of uh, bison as well, a mm-hmm. buffalo as a lot of people say. Yeah. Um, and so you can see those and we have llamas and alpacas and basically a thing uh, that, uh, might help a kid do better in 4-H or FFA. We have those. We have our own herd of cattle. We have mm-hmm. 250 acres, um, so we're we're producing all our own beef that the kids eat, the staff eat, um, and so it's it's just a it's a unique cool place. I, I invite anybody to come out and get a tour.
2: Okay, I'm I'm thinking outside the box now. You're close to fossil rim. You got any dinosaur bones laying around?
3: You know, we've done some digging, haven't found any. That'd be another great claim to fame. Wouldn't that be yet. wild?
2: <laughs> it's like, oh, wait a minute. Happy Hill's got a dinosaur bone or a couple. Uh, of maybe them. one day. Yeah, maybe <laughs> one day. If anyone wanted to volunteer, I'm sure people want to volunteer all the time. And over the years they have, how would they do all of that and how would they get in touch? What's the most simple way? And then is there any particular criteria?
3: Yeah. So because we work with kids, obviously oh, full yeah. background check, mm-hmm. all of that. So we, we take that um, volunteer time very seriously uh, to do all of that work. But we do invite people. Uh, there's a volunteer application form at happyhillfarm.org. Our, our site just got redesigned really easy to navigate. You can find that volunteer form or just put a message in the in the message box. And that goes directly to me and my team. And we would love to have you out for an event. We, we do open houses sometimes in the fall. We're, we're going to do one next spring. And so those are events where we need volunteers. We also need volunteers for registration at our events. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a really great way to be able to serve and, and help those things go smooth. Yes, we love volunteers.
2: Lucas, is there anything else you want to mention before we go?
3: Man, I just want to say thank you so much, Chris, for, for having me on. I, I've enjoyed this conversation. I always enjoy when we get to hang out and talk um Texas sports facts and <laughs> get sure. to get to do these events. And uh I just I've enjoyed this time and and for anybody who Wants to learn more. Um, we have a great welcome video. Uh, you can watch it at happyhillfarm.org forward slash welcome. You get to hear from me. You can see the things that we've described. Um, I think we've done a, a, a decent job kind of painting the picture of the campus, but it's another thing to, to see the drone footage and, would just, and, and to see the kids smiling faces. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. It, everything we're doing, revolves around the 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 mind the body the spirit of these kids so that they can be whole and happy and healthy and and be the leaders that uh the world needs for tomorrow all about so i'm really grateful for this opportunity to share more about happy hill farm thank you chris
2: thank you he is the executive director of happy hill farm he is lucas shipman and lucas you are a blessing thanks for joining us man
3: thank you sir have a good one
2: And joining us right now is my good friend, Athena Trenton. She's the executive director of NAMI North Texas. How are you doing, Athena?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today.
2: I'm glad to have you on because, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And just this past Saturday, a week ago, uh, you had the walk. You had the the walk, and it was a nice fundraiser. Can you talk about the events of the walk and uh, how this is a nice, important thing that you do, not only just for the walk, but all this month?
4: Absolutely. We had over 700 people show up uh, last Saturday at Frisco Rough Riders Field to help us raise awareness for mental health. And just the main thing for the day is to bring the community together mm-hmm. and show that we can work towards access to mental health. There's a whole community that's not judgmental, stigma-free, and bringing everybody together to support each other. And it's just an amazing day to find that you have that many people together in one place with um, a similar attitude towards mental health and wanting to spread that word and bring more people together. And the other point of the walk is it's peer fundraising and um, everybody works to help us raise funds so that we can continue to provide no cost services to our North Texas family. Um, And we continue to fundraise the entire month of May so anyone can still register online and peer fundraise for us so that we um, can continue to meet the increasing needs in our community and get people connected to mental health services.
2: You mentioned this and the the walk was on Saturday and ironically that evening, late that afternoon, the shooting in in Allen happened. And since then, a lot of people have been wanting to talk and console each other. And there's been different vigils and and community outreach. Can you talk about uh, where you were when you heard the news in your immediate reaction. And I know your phone lines have been just flooded all week long.
4: They have. We have quite a few people calling us and we are providing support and access to some of the resources that are coming available specifically to help the people who have been affected by this just horrific tragedy and our thoughts and our hearts are out there with everybody in the mm-hmm. community. Uh, I guess I, 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 got the notification on my phone, literally when I was driving home after we cleaned up for the walk, Mm -hmm. we had this fabulous day and promoting mental health, promoting access to services. And then I got that notification on my phone. And so as soon as I got home, I'm, I'm looking at the news and trying to figure out what happened, trying to find out if, you know, who is it that I know who might've been there? Um, and we have um, found that we are connected to some of the schools where children were lost mm-hmm. and some of some of the community members. We've also been um, dispatching some of our law enforcement. Um, we, it's our Overwatch peer support program, mm-hmm. and we've been there for their first responders. We train officers all across North Texas where slowly rolling out this program for fire and EMS as well, where people from other agencies will offer peer support for anyone in need to help them work through their mental health issues and reach out for assistance. And so the city of Allen has asked us to provide some of our ops supporters. Um, We were there Monday, and we're going back tonight to also help family members of first responders um, process this situation. And the most frustrating or disappointing piece of this whole incident, other than you know, above and beyond just the tragedy that's happened, is how government and media and other, you know, people. Are equating violence with mental illness? Right. Yes. This. Yeah. Th- yes. I know exactly There's, where you're going with this because they,
2: <laughs> they, yeah. And unfortunately, people who have mental health issues they usually hurt themselves, not others.
4: That's often the case. Um, there is a very, very minute number of people with mental illness who have any kind of potential to be violent mm-hmm. in any way and what we're trying to do at nami north texas is help people understand these two things are mutually exclusive mm-hmm. and part of what's flooding our phone lines our parents of people with mental health issues calling and just unloading and saying I've been taking care of my child who has schizophrenia for 20 years and maybe you know they're not well enough to be a you know to live on their own and get their own job but they have never ever once been violent. And so we want people to understand that the more and more we focus these tragedies on the mental health whether there's a mental health issue or not, that's Mm -hmm. the go-to right now. And we need to stop doing that because there's already stigma out there. There's already people not reaching out for help because they're worried about how they're going to be seen by society, by their families, by their um, professional colleagues and their communities. So we're increasing that stigma by making that correlation that really truly factually does not exist And by increasing that stigma, less and less people are going to reach out for help for fear that they're going to be seen as a potential violent offender. And this is just so incredibly false. And we want people out there to know that if you don't know where to turn, call us. If you know you need help, just call our office. Just reach out to us and we will help. We will help you get what you need.
2: We're talking to Athena Trenton. She's the executive director of NAMI North Texas. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as you were mentioning, and and by the way, I'm so glad to have you on the show because there's a lot of people that do not know that information that you're sharing. And you just can't lump all things in one box. You just can't do that. And it's a complicated issue. And there's a lot of people, as you mentioned when you first started off, who actually just need to talk to people. And we're talking about those who are affected by situations like this that occur amongst their family or friends. And you mentioned the first responders because that's what a lot of people don't even understand about uh, first responders, whether they're firefighters or police officers, they deal with tragedies on a regular basis. And sometimes it's tough if you internalize it. Can you
4: talk about that? Yes. Um, no human being ha- is equipped to witness or directly yeah. experience that much trauma over and over again every day and not have issues.
2: You know what it's like? It's kind of like soldiers. You always hear about soldiers when they turn, return from war and they have these nightmares or they have situations where it affects them because no one's supposed to be living like that
4: no and we have this societal concept of our law enforcement officers our firefighters our ems anybody and everybody who is on those front lines including mm-hmm. healthcare workers yeah um, Hospital what workers. they see every day is you know something that the rest of us could never understand and it is it is similar to going to war when you, you know, see those tragedies each day and you, you still have to make quick decisions and you still have to go out there and you still have to just, you know, be that hero. Mm-hmm. And so there is a very, very high stigma and high rate of suicide amongst first responders and frontline healthcare workers and our program our overwatch peer support program was um, kind of the brainchild of it came from one of our board members officer todd jerry who's the mental health liaison for garland police department Mm -hmm. and my brother is also uh, a firefighter and so between the two of them i have learned so much about what they witness every day and here's another piece where a lot of people don't understand and they're blaming, you know, there's cops out there. There's first responders out there who, you know, have bad intentions sometimes, or they've got experiences that are influencing their decision-making that moves us into what has been happening Mm -hmm. between, you know, certain communities and law enforcement. But if you really think about those cops who are trying to do the absolute best they can, But they've gone from witnessing a horrific car accident to, you know, saving a baby from a car that was locked up and the parents ran into the store for two minutes and the baby, Mm -hmm. you know, is stuck in the car. And then they have to go break up a fight somewhere. Where is their mental state Mm -hmm. at that point in time? How are they making their decisions? So if we can help them reach out more often to get mental health assistance and many are resistant because they're very worried about losing their jobs they're worried about their partners that they're out there you know patrolling the streets or going into fires thinking that they they don't have the capacity to be there and for you know work at full capacity so the stigma is so high that They very often hold it all inside take it out on their families self medicate and um, we don't really realize what's happening, while they're at home while they're off duty. Trying not to be the hero anymore, and so part of what this program is helping us do is not only reduce the amount of stress and suicides in the first responder community but it's also helping them make better decisions mm-hmm. while they have to make them in very very quick situations split seconds
2: what i've found that you guys do so well is like you say you destigmatize mental wellness mental health because you know it's various deg- it's various degrees of it but also you can't ignore it And it's almost like it used to be. It used to be, oh, it's a quiet thing that the family just doesn't want to talk about. But it's influenced a lot of people um, to making either bad decisions or to withdraw from society. Can you talk about the fact that you guys are able to let people talk? And sometimes just talking things through. In other words, it's nothing wrong with talking to people about what you might be going through because you're not alone. I think the message that you like to share is people, you are not alone in whatever things that are bothering you.
4: No one is alone. There is, if you're listening and you are not here in North Texas, in our service area, there are over 600 NAMI affiliates all across the United States. There is a NAMI near you. That is the one place you can go where people will understand no matter what you're experiencing well whether you're on one end of the spectrum and having more of a situational anxiety depression mm-hmm. you know that doesn't necessarily need a high level of care or you're on the other end of the end of the spectrum where you may not be able to hold a job you may be hearing voices you may um may have a heart you know there's a lot of people with mental illness who are homeless as well mm-hmm that whole spectrum of people, we are here for every single one of them. We have resources for everybody. And the majority of our phone calls actually are from family members who aren't quite sure what to do with their um, their children or right. their brother, sister, loved one. They call and sometimes they're calling about, you know, an adult loved one and there aren't if they're if that person is unwilling to seek assistance and they're over 18 it's very hard to get them there mm-hmm. if they're not a danger to themselves or others mm-hmm. and sometimes we feel on our end that gosh i really didn't do much for them but they're you know we've been on the phone for 45 minutes and i just let them unload the whole story to somebody who gets it who understands and they feel so much better yeah. and then we offer up our family support groups because they say one in five people are you know have some type of a mental illness whether it's diagnosed or not but five in five a hundred percent of us are affected by it one way or another so nami is one of the organizations that has the most robust set of resources for family members support groups classes to help understand what your loved one is going through how to build a community of support for your loved one, for yourself, for your family and community, and then just becoming part of a community by volunteering with us, joining us for some of our community events and just knowing that we we approach everything as if we are a family. Mm -hmm. And so there is no it's unconditional love. It's unconditional support. And so in any way, anyhow, no matter what you need, we can help if we don't have it, if we don't have the expertise, we know who does.
2: And that's why you guys are a resource. And 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 I think it's a tremendous resource because I think with the pandemic, and I'm only bringing this up because when the pandemic hit, a lot more people either became isolated, became less uh, part of communities because they weren't working in an office or they weren't going out. They were staying at home. Uh, they were isolating a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I know that that kind of, stressed quite a few people out because their whole way of doing things changed. Now, a lot of people have gone back to activities that make them feel better, but a lot of people have not. Can you talk about some of those situations?
4: Yeah, it's very interesting. Isolation, um, as many of us know, is one of the most triggering things for anyone with a mental illness. And we found during COVID, a lot of people who didn't have anxiety, depression, other mental health issues before the pandemic started experiencing them during because Mm. of that isolation. And, you know, there was a time when we weren't sure if we could even go outside and be okay. And so if you don't get that connection to nature, you're not able to access your normal self care routines, that exacerbates everything as well. And, And it's funny, you should mention, you know, as we're coming, you know, well, According um, to the World Health Organization, we are now out of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but as people were starting to go back to the office, get back out, we actually saw an increase in people reaching out for assistance, and um, I don't have any hard data, but um, based on what I've observed by our phone calls and who's reaching out to us, it one possible reason is the anxiety of, okay, is it safe to go out? Mm -hmm. The uncertainty of, you know, what's, what's happening, what's going. I haven't been around people in forever. There's, you know, an increased rate of social anxiety.
2: You know, you mentioned that I've got to bring this up. Uh, The U S surgeon general a couple of weeks ago announced an advisory for the loneliness epidemic says the lack of true social connection increases the risk of premature death by 60%.
4: I saw that and I'm not surprised at all. Um, Again, the isolation, you become lonely. Mm -hmm. We are social human beings, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, you still need that support around you. You need people, you know, with Mm -hmm. you. And so I'm, I'm definitely not surprised by that statistic and I'm sure the pandemic um, forcing us to be alone um, exacerbated it. And now there's a lot of people who are kind of find working from home being convenient Mm -hmm. or not having their in-person meetings yet because they don't want to make the drive across Dallas, for example. And so we're still having a lot of zoom meetings because they're more convenient, but then you're still not getting that human interaction. And then more and more people especially, you know, younger generations, their whole life is through social media and mm-hmm. on their phones and FaceTime and they're not meeting in person and you're not getting that human contact that we need. So I, that doesn't surprise me at all.
2: Can you talk about, you mentioned social media and, you know, a lot of people under the age of 20 that may be unfortunately defining their lives by how many likes or followers they get?
4: Yeah, it it's interesting. I, you know, I was able to kind of be part of the professional community working with um, college students, university mm-hmm. age students, as the internet came about and social media came into play, and I I've seen that just build and build and so many people try to put up who, who they wish they were on social media. Mm -hmm. And they're playing these games where they can create their own avatars and, you know, who, you know, and who they imagine they could be if they could be anything they wanted. And I, I've got to believe that has, you know, between that and then watching everybody else, and looking at what they're putting up on social media is it true is it not true people are trying to put them best their best selves out there mm-hmm. and now you you have you're comparing yourself against people on a computer screen or on a phone screen and you really don't know who they truly are right and so i could see that you know aff- affecting your self esteem affecting exactly how you interact with other people, what you try to do when you are in person. Do you have the communication skills to even develop a group of friends in person? It's, there's, you know, technology is fabulous, but there's consequences as well.
2: And some of those consequences, let's say you're a If not an influencer, let's say you're a a famous athlete or you're a famous celebrity or or an actor or entertainer. And then all of a sudden you have the quote unquote haters uh, commenting about you, either your performance on the screen, your performance on the television, your performance on the game. And that can also be mentally taxing
4: absolutely there's such a high expectation for athletes to always be perfect Mm -hmm. nobody's perfect
2: yeah they're not a video game
4: no exactly and you know it's not just athletes and it's not just people who have you know a high level platform right the you know going back to talking about people under 20 the when you know when I was a kid, when people, you know, before the internet were kids, bullying ended when the school day ended. Mm-hmm. Now it's 24-7 and parents, community members, teachers aren't able to track it because there's so many different platforms right. that could be used.
2: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. In fact, you know, parents... I always try to tell parents that your job is to try to be the greater influence. But unfortunately for parents nowadays with the different social media apps and platforms, you have no idea who's bullying your kid or if your kid is actually interacting with somebody who's a bot, which is right. somebody that's not even or real a predator or a predator. So it's, it's, it can be really tricky and the only way you can, Kind of have any kind of influence is if you talk to your kids more, and not just hand them a tablet.
4: Exactly. It, if, you know, if there's parents out there wondering, you know, how do I make sure I have those open conversations with my child? Um, we do have programs for parents. Good. Um, that um, one's a basics course about having a child under 18 who has a mental illness, but we also go into schools and we have a parent version of it's called ending the silence. And it helps you understand how to get that conversation going, how to talk to your child about mental illness, about bullying, about hard discussions, what language to use, what resources are out there, and how important it is to be direct if you're worried about your child hurting themselves or others.
2: See, what I love about visiting with you is you're actually offering solutions. It's one thing to bring up topics or problems or situations and then say, "Whoa, is us, or wow, this is something that needs to be addressed, but you actually have some solutions. Can you talk some more about what NAMI North Texas is doing or how people can reach you?
4: Absolutely. We have a very vast amount of opportunities for anyone in any community to reach out addressing different racial and ethnic backgrounds and, you know, repetitive, you know, the microaggressions, Mm -hmm. you know, that could lead to complex PTSD. Um, We have, for example, we will be having a panel in June, for Pride Month with a panel of people who identify with the LGBTQ plus community. July is Minority Mental Health Month where we're going to be having um, some of those difficult conversations during that month with different communities so that they know that they're not alone mm-hmm. in, because they have unique experiences. And I'll just share mine. I am, Um, I'm indigenous, American Indian, but I have very light skin. I have experienced um, racism from both communities, the white community, as well as my own, because I got educated, I got out, I became successful and got rejected as soon as I had all my degrees and they don't want, you know, there's a big distrust within that community um, you have anyone left us, outside.
2: Yeah, you have left us, even though you hadn't.
4: Right. I'm, I'm, I went and I acclimated to the white world and got educated and they don't want that information back. And that's my experience with my community, my tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been diagnosed with cl- complex PTSD It's a combination of experiencing the racism, experiencing um, the health conditions and the alcoholism and just the approaches that people in my life, in my family that I've witnessed. I haven't experienced a major traumatic event. Um, I have not been assaulted. I have not been, you know, I have not been in the military, I have not witnessed war, Mm -hmm. but I still had PTSD symptoms. And until recently, until people started recognizing that there is another, you know, another set of consequences that result in PTSD symptoms. Did I even know complex PTSD existed? I was just told, we can't diagnose you with it. But yeah, you have the symptoms. And so I finally, a couple of years ago, got that diagnosis and see my therapist regularly to start working through all of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so July, we'll have conversations like that um, for a lot of the communities of color that um, are in the North Texas area. Um, we're finalizing dates and locations on those, but we do have the speakers um. Finalized. So communities, parents. Um, we also have a faith-based program. We have um, family support groups, family classes, and then of course people who identify with a mental illness. We we will always have peer support groups. We have a class called Peer to Peer, which helps you understand what is happening with you. The other thing that we do. Um, any of our volunteers, they're all they all have lived experience. And every single one of our programs from our peer-to-peer class to if you choose to become a volunteer and help us get that word out and get that conversation going, we help everybody take their story of trauma, their story of mental illness or being a family member, and turn it into a story of empowerment so that you can go out and help other people turn their story into a story of empowerment and feel more comfortable reaching out and just like... If you needed to go to the dentist or you broke your arm, you can say, I need to go to my therapist today.
2: Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, this is this is May. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And in the North Texas area, there are a lot of people who are still grieving and trying to find out ways to try to understand not only their situation, why they feel the way they feel after the um, Allen shooting. And you guys have been a, a resource Can you give a phone number where people can reach out to NAMI North Texas?
4: Absolutely. Our phone number is 214-341-7133. We are not a crisis line, so we're not 24-7, but Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. We are here to help you. And if you want to take a look on our website, it's naminorthtexas.org. And you can see all of the different things that we're offering. We have a calendar of events where we're going to be and have tables at health fairs and community fairs and things like that.
2: Thank you, Athena. She is Athena Trenton, the executive director of NAMI North Texas. And thank you for joining us on Better Living, a show about people and organizations having a huge impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody.
3: How powerful is Cox Internet?